In January, Chinese scientists announced they had built a robot nanny to uh, care for babies in artificial wombs as a potential solution to their population growth problems. Oh, and also, this robot will be able to, uh, quote, rank embryos by their developmental potential, end quote. In other words, if you're not chromosomally or physically perfect, you're murdered. In February last month, the BBC released a mini, mini documentary entitled, What If Women Never Had to Give Birth? Featuring egghead Dr. Fauci-like experts gleefully celebrating a near future where artificial wombs are the norm and women are freed, quote-unquote, from gender roles. Uh, Artificial wombs are almost here, guys, and they're a bad idea. How should pro-life Christians think through this dystopian future, and how should we respond more importantly, our good friend of the show, Katie Faust, the founder and director of Them Before Us, joins us today to talk about all these things and more. Buckle up, you're in for a treat. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Katie, welcome back to the show. So good to be with you. I'm really glad we're talking about this. Hardly anybody is. Yeah, that's right. And even on the conservative side, uh, I think we're, we're seeing uh, the conservative movement sort of gird up their loins a little bit more in the last year uh, out of necessity. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, oh, uh, if we don't start conserving something soon, there will be nothing left to conserve, in which point, why be a conservative at all? So I, I, I'm encouraged with some of that strengthening of the spine of American conservatism Um, But still, when something like this comes out, I mean, this is huge international news. China right now is that, yeah, we have built a robot nanny that will Mm -hmm. gestate humans so that so that real wombs become unnecessary. So women can have, you know, what the left will call now we have gender fluidity, gender equity uh, and all of the impacts of this for societies, for families, for the posterity. Is, is massive, even if you set aside the abortion questions, just in terms of like human flourishing and the family, um, and very few people are talking about it. So I want to jump into all of that with you. Uh, but firstly, I, I would love our listeners to hear a little update from you. You just got back from an international trip um, as an advocate for children's rights to their mother and father, making the moral case, uh, the political case, which uh, those two things are virtually should be the same, um, against third-party reproductive technologies. Uh, And you were rubbing shoulders with the presidents of some countries who seem to have more moral clarity uh, on these questions than the evangelical church in America. So can you give us a little teaser about what you've been up to recently? Yeah, um, it was great. We spent, uh, we, my son and I, spent uh, seven days in Budapest speaking at a conference there, but also um, they translated my book into Hungarian. So we got to be there wow. for the book. Wonderful. I took two copies of my book in English to Europe. Um, you know, 10 days, small suitcase. I could have two books. I'm like, ah, we'll see who I give these two books to. I gave the first one to the prime minister of Hungary because I, wow. along with their um, guests and scholars, got to meet with him. Um, and Hungary is doing things that very few other Western nations are doing. Two things specifically. They are increasing their marriage rates and they are increasing their birth rates. Um, right. They are anomaly, right? Because they have a government that has prioritized marriage as the cornerstone of society. Hungary right. actually put male and female marriage in their constitution, um, and they are hated. They're hated for it. So I left a copy with him. Uh, he didn't know who I was, wow. but this big conversation with all of these scholars talking and me listening and learning. Somebody said something like, um, "You know, why don't you say something?" So the Western media doesn't hate you and believe that you are an anti-gay bigot. And the prime minister said, love might be love, but marriage is an institution. And then I spoke up and said directly to him, don't ever let anybody, no Western power, no no Western media, bully you into compromising on marriage because this is a social justice issue for children. So there was my one word of encouragement to the prime minister. Wow. Um, Katie, that's incredible. Uh, Speaking of Hungary, correct me if I'm wrong here, Katie, but I believe I saw recently um, some coverage on how Hungary, I think it was Hungary, and please tell me if I'm wrong, 
is is really the only country recently who has succeeded in flipping the script on their population problems, meaning actually successfully incentivizing um, families to have more children. And and now they're actually seeing it go back up. Was that Hungary? That's correct. That's correct. And so um, they are not yet at replacement rate. But they are, they have um, grown, I'm going to botch this, from probably 1.2 to about 1.6 births per women in the last 10 years. Their marriage rates have gone up. Their divorce rates have dropped. And you know what else has dropped? Their abortion rates. Because when you can have pro-family policies, people welcome children into their lives more easily. So I pray that Hungary can export their model to other Western nations, European nations especially, that are seeing... um, that are going to enter a population winter very, very soon, and not a lot of countries can pull out of that. So, um, yeah, it was great. I actually met with a few um, policy experts to really understand what are they doing socially and in law to increase birth rates and marriage rates? Because you don't just want increased birth rates. You want births within marriage, right? right. So that was wonderful. Uh, Then we went over the weekend to Albania. Um, Albania is the poorest country in Europe. They are still climbing out of one of the most egregious communist um, regimes in modern history. Um, They were officially the only atheist country, constitutionally atheist, um, for several decades where you could be put in jail if you said, I believe in God, I have a Bible. Um, And so they're very fresh out of um, dictatorship and control and um, still still climbing their way and, and struggling as an economy. But um, I'll tell you what, I, I got there to help a fledgling pro-family organization push back on the massive, well-moneyed international attempts to completely rewrite their family code, to make it gender neutral, um, to wow. give anybody the right to adopt, to sponge the words mother and father out of their um, documents and replace it with parent one and parent two, to pave the way for same-sex marriage. And I'll tell you what, the Albanians don't have much, but they're like, get away from our families. (laughs) Like that's what uh, I probably heard. I probably heard the name George Soros mentioned seven times by people who are. No, Katie, you can't, you can't say that, that name. The left told me that they, they hate colonization, Katie. There's no way that, that, that such pressure would be coming from America. Uh, yes, (laughs) all of the pressure is coming from Western progressive, you know, elite countries. Um, but the, the onslaught against this tiny poor country was amazing. But you've had these ordinary people rising up um, to speak out against it. Ordinary pastors who are pulling in um, Muslim leaders as well. It's a 70% Muslim majority country. But the Muslims are not down with this. Uh, the Muslims are like, uh, you are violating <laughs> the things that we hold most dear. And so they've put together this little coalition. Um, they've they put on the first ever interfaith, interparty um, National Family Congress. That was last Sunday. The president spoke first. I spoke second, which was wow. pretty incredible. And just today we got the announcement that they have withdrawn all efforts to redefine the family code and and we won. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> what happens when you can present a child-centric message because the child centric the truth and fighting for children can actually win no matter how much money you have and no matter how widespread your efforts and no matter how much um, coercion you try to apply. Good yeah. people will stand up for children when they know what's at stake. That's right. That's right. Katie, th- th- that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think it's important for, for people to hear that because we, we have this tendency in America of assuming the inevitability of progressivism. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, We're we're so entrenched in these cultural waters um, that sometimes Christians think that they're swimming upstream, um, but they're just, (laughs) they're they're treading upstream, but they're, they're, they're being pulled downstream the whole time because culture is such a powerfully formative thing that for for uh, for decades now, the church in America has been more impacted by the secular ethic, or we could call it a secular liturgy um, mm-hmm. that that gives them worldview lenses to mm-hmm. make sense of the world, more so by that secular ethic than by a biblical ethic or by sort of a historic Christian tradition. And so we start to just assume that that, that these types of 
we call them the forward movements of the secular moral revolution, are inevitable. Uh, but yeah. they're not inevitable. And if you're a student of history, you'll know that the things that were once thought to be inevitable uh, eventually got turned around. And so it's encouraging to hear these countries with leaders who are many of whom are not even Christians yeah. um, who are saying, get this type of wokeism out of here, this redefinition of the most fundamental sort of understandings of human nature, man, woman, male, female, mother, father, children, being raised by the two individuals responsible for their existence. And, and so I, we're so happy with what you guys are doing at Them Before Us and how God has expanded your, your territory and influence up to the international prime minister level. It's very exciting. But uh, for the sake of time, guys, go follow Katie Faust, Them Before Us, get her book, Them Before Us, go read it, okay? Or go listen back to our two older episodes. Um, but I, I wanted to bring you back on to talk about this these new reports of, of artificial wombs being basically right around the corner. People are saying maybe 10 years. Some people are saying a little more. Um, but firstly, the news coming out of China. So Chinese scientists have built a robot nanny to care for babies in artificial wombs. Here's a piece from a Yahoo article, January 31st. The scientists in China have created a robotic artificial intelligence system to monitor and care for human embryos growing in artificial wombs. The AI robot is being developed as a potential solution to population growth problems in the world's most populous country, with birth rates recently falling to their lowest levels in six decades. Researchers at the Suzhou Institute of Biomedical Engineering and Technology in China's eastern Yangtze province developed the robot to undertake the labor-intensive task of observing, documenting, and manually adjusting the carbon dioxide, nutrition, and other environmental inputs. And then listen to this line. It is also able to rank embryos by their developmental potential, according to the South China Morning Post, who first reported on the device. So this is also called ectogenesis, uh, the, the invention of a complete external womb. Um, so, uh, Katie, why is this not a blessing of liberty? Why is this not just the best thing since sliced bread to increase our economic prowess by creating more human beings who are art of, who are productive little robots at the widget factory. Uh, why is this not the best thing for, for China, for America, and certainly for children? Yeah. So, you know, what's so interesting is um, when I've talked about artificial wombs in the past, even among conservatives, they're like, this is an amazing breakthrough. This is the way that we are going to be able to help babies that are preterm survive. I mean, this is a pro-life technology. And I'm like, you don't understand. In the baby-making marketplace, the womb is the most expensive and hard to acquire part of that process. If you are going to make a baby, you have to put together sperm, egg, and womb. Sperm is very easy to access. Eggs, a little bit more difficult, but we have figured out a way to um, hormonally inject women uh, with enough um, <laughs> with enough chemicals so that instead of releasing one egg a month, we can extract 20 eggs. Um, wow. And it's really expensive, but you know, these days you can go online and you can find catalogs of egg donors. And if you've got the money, maybe a little bit more for a white donor, maybe a little bit less for a brown donor, but you can get yourself an egg. The womb is very, very hard to find. It's hard to find a woman who will give her body to nine and a half months of gestating a child. Um, and all of the burden that goes along with that, do you understand how much money you would save if you never had to find that woman who offered her body for the development of a child? Not only that, but it would be a lot easier to take care of like quality control for the babies that we are manufacturing if there wasn't a woman who was forming an attachment to that child, right? We have situations of surrogate pregnancies where the surrogate is very, very attached to the babies, but the right. intent parents don't like what you know there's too many oh there's two boys and a girl well we just want one boy and one girl so we'd like to abort one of the boys and the yeah. surrogate I, I I love these babies I, I don't want to abort them um, or we've had situations of surrogates where they said oh this baby has down syndrome you need to abort that baby and the surrogate goes I have a bond with this baby I, I'm not going to abort this baby wouldn't it be so much more convenient if there wasn't a woman bonding and standing in the way so that we can eliminate the children that are not genetically optimal? It would be so, you'd save money, you'd save time, you'd get your designer baby so much more easily. 
Um, there isn't anybody that's standing in the way of elimination of the babies that don't seem to really meet exactly what we're paying for here. Right. So I, I think that pro-lifers fall into this trap. Like even when I was watching um, the other video that we were talking about, the development of the artificial womb from Britain, um, they said, if this technology succeeds, it will be clear that viability begins at conception. That's right. And yeah. you hear pro-lifers go, oh, yeah. oh, yes, now they'll know that this is a baby from the moment of birth. Yes, we already know that. But that's not what this means. Yeah. This means that you can manufacture children in factories. That's yeah, what this means. That's right. Yeah. There is and no I want to I want to pause there too, Katie, because I think this is important for especially our listeners who who listen to the show because they're pro life. Um, that is the response of some pro lifers: is man, if we ever got to the position of artificial wombs, the abortion debate would end because mm -hmm. now the baby does not require the mother's uterus or womb, and and now the baby will be viable from the point of conception. And so then any mother who gets pregnant and doesn't want the pregnancy, the baby, um, yeah. then, then that, that baby can just be put in an artificial womb, assuming that you're actually able to extract a baby that's already implanted yeah. in the uterus, which is a conversation for another time. Um, and, and so this is just great. Now the left will concede uh, that babies are viable from the point of conception, given medical technologies, and now every baby will have the right to life protected, right? Uh, I'm actually very skeptical that that would actually happen. Um, because I don't, I don't think that the reason that the left loves abortion is be, is is purely because the baby cannot survive on their own. I think they love abortion because it enables them to achieve, you know, gender equality. That right. children become an acceptable sacrifice on this right. pursuit of of gender fluidity. That there will be no difference between the sexes, no acknowledgement of a natural order. Um, at the, the, and that through our faculties of reasoning, we can actually come to, you know, uh, rational conclusions about the natural world that we live in, given how we're created. No, no, no. It, ne it needs to all be the same. Uh, and if women can't, can't, uh, go all the way in their career without any breaks, then they won't be equal with men. And these pesky uteruses force us to take a break from our career. So let's just get rid of it all. I, I think that's why they love abortion. And so even, even if we were able to achieve viability at conception through artificial wombs, I think what you're going to end up happening, you could have a situation in which sick parents pay to create babies through IVF, lease, lease an artificial womb for the express purpose of harvesting organs for, from the babies for their ailing grandpa. Or, I mean, because I, I don't think that suddenly the left and the abortion industry is going to go, oh, you're right. That children in an artificial womb have a right to life from the moment of conception. So th anyways, those were just my thoughts on, yeah. on maybe some of the places so, this would actually lead. Yeah, especially because, you know, in the context of China, they, they are in a population spiral, right? They have hit the population decline so much harder and faster than most developing countries. We have slid into it. You know, Japan kind of went first. Europe has kind of hit next. America's sort of in that direction, unless you're a conservative, in which case we're having two to 12 children, it seems. Um, but China went very hard and very fast because their uh, cost of living increased so drastically. They had already had these incredible restrictions on their population. They're already in the mindset of, we don't really get to decide how many kids that we're going to have. Um, and now they're in this race to economically develop and women don't have time for children and it's too expensive in these cities. So. They have tried to incentivize women to have more children and women are like, no, I, I'm not going to. So now they are in a, um, they recognize they're not going to survive unless they are able to manufacture some children. So I think that it's pretty unlikely that you're going to, that just removing nine and a half months of child rearing, child development is going to free women up to say, okay, I can have three children because they still don't have the money to raise the children or they don't want to, you know, leave their, whatever it is. And so really what you're talking about is very likely you're talking about manufacturing children in artificial wombs that are being selected out for quality or sex selection or sex selection is actually one of the main reasons that um, children have not made it to the finish line in terms of birth throughout China's history. Um, and so you've got all different reasons why you can select out um, children that are not uh, beneficial to whatever metric you're using here. Um, and so do you think that all of these babies manufactured in factories are going to be handed over to married mothers and fathers who are their genetic parents. I'm going to raise them. No, no, you're, you're going to create factories of children who will be probably raised in factories of nannies 
or hand it off to whoever has the money and means to acquire them, which actually is kind of what surrogacy is now. When we really look at surrogacy, that's what it is. A lot of times these kids don't go home to genetic parents. Um, they're going home to one or two adults who are not genetically related. Oftentimes they're going home to motherless or fatherless homes. Um, we already, surrogacy already is a system that is allowing for children to be cut and pasted into any and every adult relationship. The difference is surrogacy costs a little more money than an artificial womb was. Yeah. Do you think kids are going to be, kids' rights to life and right to their mother and father will be more respected or less respected when the price tag drops? That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's powerful. Um, Katie, I, I, there's so much more I want to talk about specifically in regards to why this is wrong. Uh, the case against it. Um, what is significant about this prenatal bonding that happens during prenatal development? There's a lot of that that we that we're going to touch on, and that I want to get to uh, with the time we have left. But I want to jump into a little bit of this BBC mini documentary. So uh, the BBC dropped this in February, so it's March right now. But this was very recently, and uh, uh, it was uh, well, it was called Yeah, What If Women Never Had to Give Birth Again. And it's about eight or nine minutes, and they feature certain people that they chose to put forward as the egghead experts. So I did a little bit of research on some of the individuals that appeared in the video, Katie. Um, either lines they said in there or other articles they had appeared in or written. And unsurprisingly, uh, they, they favor uh, abortion um, or they've made statements that, that are very clear that, that they would have no problem with abortion. Uh, so one woman here, her name is Helen Sed Sedgwick. And you guys, you can go, you can go Google this BBC. Um, what if women never had to give birth again? You'll find it. You should watch it. Uh, Helen Sedgwick has written like this sort of dystopian future novel um, on like what that might look like politically and socially if we had artificial wombs as the norm. I believe she lives some Ireland or Scotland or something like that. And so I found a, a piece she had written in the Guardian, September 2017. And so just a little window into who these people are. So here's what she said. She said, but an external womb uh, could also lead to a new equality in parenthood and consequently change the structure of our working and private lives. Given time, it could dismantle the gender hierarchies within our society. Given more time, it could eliminate the difference between the sexes in our biology. Once parental roles are equal... There will be no excuse for male-dominated boardrooms or political parties or much of the other blatant inequality we see today. So this is one of the egghead experts that is that BBC features in this little special, and she's making it very clear. The reason she is on board with artificial wombs is she hates the natural world and the, and the, the obvious order that the natural world seems to communicate. Because if there's a natural world and there's a natural order and things are a certain way— it means that things aren't a different way. And if they're not a different way and they are a certain way, maybe that means that there was a certain reason for why things were that way. And maybe there are certain roles and duties that men have that women don't and vice versa. And gosh dang it, that means there's probably a creator who made it that way. And I need to be freed from the natural world because the serpent told me in Genesis 3, I shall be as gods. Any recognition of a natural order and the duties and responsibilities that flow from that natural order is the thing that makes the secular progressive movement's head implode uh, because it means they're not gods. That's what I read when I see something like this. But really briefly, Katie, and then I want you to go full, Katie. Um, this reminds me of, of, this, of this line from Edmund Burke on his reflections on the revolution in France. It's very high language. It would be inaccessible to, to most millennials and Gen Zers today. But, but you'll appreciate it. And, and he talks about this sort of extinguishing of the, of the natural order and, and, and kind of the patriarchy. I mean, th these gender roles that he says are not necessarily bad. He says, the age of chivalry is gone. That of sophisters, economists, and calculators has succeeded. What's he talking about? The egghead expert class. That's what he's talking about. And the glory of Europe is extinguished forever. Nevermore shall we behold the generous loyalty to rank and sex, that mm. proud submission, that dignified obedience, that subordination of the heart, which kept alive, even in servitude itself, the mm. spirit of an exalted freedom. I mean, that, now, that kind of language would make the left left's head implode. Servitude? Rank and sex? Order? Duties? Responsibilities? Ah! 
but but he's saying he's like, no, this is beautiful in its in its in its purpose, right? In its telos. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and he's saying the egghead experts had taken over Europe. The glory of Europe is extinguished forever. And he goes on to say that, that this sort of generous loyalty to rank and sex, he calls it the cheap defense of nations. Uh, mm. Because that small, that political unit, that smallest political unit, the family, that's your cheap way to defend a nation. Because healthy families produce healthy societies and healthy men and women who contribute to a healthy society. So protecting the family, which is what you do at your organization, Katie, is the cheapest way to defend a nation. But it requires an acknowledgement of these natural orders, this rank, sex, duty, and different roles that flow from sex. Anyways, beautiful high language. But what he's saying is that the freedom that Helen Sedwick is after when she talks about using artificial wombs to eliminate the difference between the sexes, that's Mm -hmm. a freedom that dissolves freedom because it's a freedom that in the long run hands more power over to the state. So anyways, but these are some of these people, any thoughts you have on on this, on sort of the people pushing this? Well, I'm, I'm really glad that you brought up her quote because that is what stood out to me. And I think that that is, this should really clue pro-lifers into the connection between abortion and reproductive technologies, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of pro-lifers, you have talked about it, many have no idea that there is a connection between abortion and reproductive technologies, but this makes it very, very clear that it is, right? Um, and so we'll do like a quick quick review about why these two things are actually the same thing. And you and I have talked about in other videos, but both of them determine a child's rights and well-being based on whether or not they are wanted, right? So abortion says, if a child is unwanted, I can violate their right to life and force them out of existence. Reproductive technologies say, if a child is very wanted, I can violate their often right to life because many of these babies won't make it to be born, certainly not with the with the you know emergence of artificial wombs and robot nannies, many of them will not be born. As it is now, 93% of lab-created babies won't be born alive for the very same sex selection, viability selection, um, disposable reasons that we're looking at with artificial wombs, right? But our reproductive technology said, if a child is very wanted, I can kind of do whatever I want with them to justify giving right. me that, cutting out a biological mother, cutting out a biological father separating them from a birth mother, sex selecting them, viability out, whatever it is, donating them to research as long as I get my kid, right? So when you look at those things, like the rights of the child, the well-being of the child are not a primary consideration in either of these conversations. Both of them see children as commodities whose rights and well-being depend on what adults want, okay? So what she said is actually exactly right. The, why is it that during second wave feminism, um, the feminists adopted pro-abortion as one of their main planks for equality. It is because they saw that being able to walk away from a pregnancy, being able to be the same as men when it came to sex and reproduction was a part of liberation. So you've got these same kind of ideas when it comes to not getting rid of children, but creating children, right? She's saying we can't really have equality unless women don't have to gestate babies. And so there again, you see the complete, this is, that is the logical conclusion. If you believe in abortion, then you should have absolutely no problem with reproductive wounds, right? Artificial wounds. It is the same thing, okay? Now, here's another thing that I think, let the reader pay attention. Let the reader hear, all right? He who has ears, let the um, In these videos, right? Watch that BBC video. Tell me how much attention is paid to what adults want what their desires are, what their goals are, you know, what they would like themselves, okay? And then make little tick marks every single time they talk about why this would be good for some adults or whatever, or or fulfill their desires. I mean, some of the things they list is like, well, if there's a medical condition and you can't, or if you're in a relationship where you don't have a womb, you don't have a uterus haver in the relationship. Okay. And so notice, make little marks of how often they talk about why this is good for adults. Then make notes about anything that has to do with respecting a child's right to life or right to their parents. And then take a look at that tally list at the end and tell me what you see. And the answer, there's nothing about the rights of the child or the well-being of the child in here. You know why? Because babies were not made to be gestated in a laboratory, created in a lab or gestated in a machine. They were made to be created by their mother and father and grown under the heart of a woman that they will never have to leave. 
And so what you're talking about here, you know, abortion is the destruction of human life. Artificial wombs is actually like the destruction of the humanity of the child. These are human babies. Human babies are not, you are, you are violating the fundamentals of what it means to be a human child if they can't even grow inside of a human woman. Um, I have no idea the kind of impact this is going to have on children. Um, and I'll just, I'll give you kind of a quick explainer from adoption. You know, as we've talked about, I'm very pro-adoption. I used to work at the largest Chinese adoption agency in the world. I'm an adoptive mom. Um, I have I've counseled a lot of people who have gone through not just adoption, but challenging adoptions, because that's actually how adoption goes. It's challenging. It's challenging because you're asking the child to do something that they shouldn't have to do, which is detached from their biological parents and reattached to biological strangers. Um, so, so that's challenging because what happens when a child grows inside of a woman for nine and a half months is they, they learn the basics of what it means to be human. They know her, their mother's voice. They know her smell. Um, they, they crave her when they are born. Um, and when the child loses a relationship with that birth mother, they start from scratch, right? They have nine and a half months of experience connecting with one person. That birth mother has lots and lots of other relationships. The baby has one relationship. That's the only human the baby knows. So when the baby loses the relationship with that woman, they have to start from scratch. Um, many adoptees would call this a primal wound. Even though they were loved and, and adopted by wonderful mothers and fathers, um, we have studied and seen that it is harder for adoptive children to learn to trust, learn to attach, learn to bond. Um, and that's not to say there's anything bad about adoption, adopted children, adoptive parents. This is the reality, people. You cannot break a bond um, and think that there's going to be no fallout. Now, sometimes we can't do anything about it, and it's the best case right. scenario for a child to be placed with adoptive parents. But to intentionally break that bond through surrogacy is an injustice because right. an adult to completely now, deny yes, the yeah, that's right. bond because you want to grow babies in a factory. That's right. I There's no words for the impact that this is going to have on children. And at Them Before Us, we often talk about how we do not make children sacrifice for adults. This would be sacrificing really what it means to be a human child so an adult can have a designer baby without the inconvenience of 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 carrying right. them from that. I right. just have no. Right. Or, or just, or just making sure that you don't have to take any time away from work uh, right. and not go through the physical, yeah, yeah, yeah. the physical <laughs> like journey of, of, of growing a human right. being. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and so to your point too, that to quote this woman, Helen Sedwick again uh, from the BBC piece, Katie, uh, to your point about how their language reveals their priorities. The, they filter out of sight, any recognition of the separate human being whose rights yeah. are being compromised. And the same thing happens in the abortion discussion. Every right. justification for abortion is based on the desires of parents. Every justification for third-party reproductive technologies is based on the desires of the parents. But we need to put them before us, to quote you. P adults do hard things so that the rights of children are protected. But she has this line in the BBC piece, Katie. She says, um, she, she poses these questions about where this could go wrong, where this could go awry. And she says, is this something that could be forced on people? To which I said, uh, yes, in every case, the, the artificial womb forces itself onto the preborn person. But no, of course, she, she means uh, would, would patriarchs who, who just want women uh, to, you know, I don't know, have lots of biological children, or would there be an expectation for them to do it in order to keep their job right or something like this? Uh, that's what she means. She has no recognition or concern for, for the actual child. I checked her out on social media. Of course, she has a child, but uh, of course, that child is very valuable now that they're born. Um, one other person here, her name's Dr. Anna Smajdor, um, and she was featured in the BBC piece as, BBC piece as well, okay, and I, I did some research on her, uh, a woman named Jenny Kleeman wrote in The Guardian in June of 2020, a piece about artificial wombs, and she quotes this Dr. Anna Smajdor, um, and here's what Dr. Anna said in this piece, she said, there's an unquestioned assumption that women will have babies, yeah, <laughs> and a failure to notice how bizarre it is that we, we have to produce new human beings out of our own bodies and how dangerous that is. 
And, and then, okay, now then the writer of the piece says, to demonstrate her point, Dr. Anna's point, she tells me about a colleague having a wisdom tooth out. Dr. Anna Smodjdor suggested they film it as a beautiful experience to save her. And here she said, here it comes. And look, here's the stitching. Wow, you did that without any painkillers. So this woman featured in the BBC piece, Dr. Anna Smodjdor, compares the process of childbirth, Katie, to the process of having your wisdom tooth pulled and says it would be strange to anticipate the arrival of a wisdom tooth and celebrate the delivery of that wisdom tooth by the mother. And she's making an analogy between our strange response to childbirth of actual people who are birthed and can only gestate in women's bodies to make her point of what she's really after, which is to obliterate any distinction between the sexes, which reminds me of Dr. Helen Gurley Brown, or not Dr. Helen Gurley Brown, who was the editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan, which mm. was the sex in the city in written form for the 60s, okay, that, that was <laughs> brought in the sexual revolution. And she said that what held women back from success, Katie, in the corporation was this, quote, the built-in mechanism in their bodies that allows them to have babies. So this is not new. It's the same thing this Dr. Anna's saying. Like, oh, mm -hmm. it, we, we've never thought about how bizarre it is that we have to produce new human beings. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're dehumanizing everything that makes you unique as a woman rather than celebrating this superpower. And I think, I think that's so much of what we see is driving this push for artificial wombs. And it's also the same worldview that drives abortion. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, um, I'm like a feminist. You can believe what you want to believe. You want to have babies, don't want to have babies. That's fine. But once you are having babies, it is not about you anymore. I mean, like, I don't think that everybody has to have a baby. I don't think everybody has to get married. But if you have a baby, you reorient your life around that baby, right? Not everybody has to agree with me. But when it comes to children, I will fight you if you disagree with whether or not children have a right to life and right to their mother and father and whether or not you should get married to the person, you know what I mean? Like, and whether or not you, yeah. I, so this whole, like, go ahead, spin out of control with your crazy ideas. But once you start making children pay for those crazy ideas, that is where I'm going to stand between you and those kids. And that is what, right. We need this generation of people to rise up, to stand between adults who um, maybe are misguided, maybe are wicked and say, I'm going to get between you and the babies. Um, mm -hmm. And guys, I think the pro-life world has done that really well when it comes to abortion. We now need to wake up and see that there are so many more threats to children than just abortion, unfortunately, that mm -hmm. now we are moving into this dystopic world. I, it was so funny at the beginning of that video. They're like, I think people think about this as some kind of like brave new world matrix thing, but that's how it has to be. And then in all of the background, they've got the matrix things going down, you know, like yeah. it doesn't have to be, but it yeah. will. That's yeah. what. Well, the, all we need to say about that, Katie, is that conservatives have successfully predicted every slippery slope argument they've ever made for decades. Any yeah. forward movement of the secular moral revolution that was hailed as an advance for freedom only ever ended up compromising freedom in handing over more power to the state. And and every conservative that predicted the slippery slope of any brave new world idea was proved right within a few years or a few decades. We have we are literally 100 for 100. Um, so whenever the left says, oh, stupid conservatives, conspiracy theorists, it's not going to end up there. It's like, dude, we've been right on every single moral issue for uh, about 50 or 60 years. As we wind down, though, Katie, let's talk a little bit about why it's significant for children to actually develop in the womb. I don't know. It's almost like God intended that or something. Um, but we, we've talked a little bit about this with you on the show before about what, what happens, not just developmentally, but can like even affect the brain structure uh, of children who, who um, are deprived of that maternal bond. Um, mm -hmm. Just from your expertise, Katie, can you talk a little bit about why biologically, scientifically, right? Follow the science. Um, it's significant for for children to remain in uh, uh, in the only location that every human being has ever been developed in the womb. Can you yeah. talk anything about sort of the biology or science from what what we've learned so far? Well, you know what's amazing is the thought that a child would not develop inside of a woman is it would it would violate the norm. I mean, it is non species based. There's no way to even I have no words to describe what this would be like. 
Um, it would be like saying um, you have a newborn, you have a toddler, but then you're, we're not going to do preschool age. Like, I just think the preschool age is optional, right? You can go up to age three, but after that, you're going to go straight to age six. Like, there's no words to use right. to describe how fundamentally non-human this is. Yeah. Um, and if we think about depriving children of maternal influence, for example, which now we have, right? We've got children who are deprived of maternal influence. Um, and one thing that we do at Them Before Us is we talk about the impact of not having the maternal influence in a child's home daily. And we talk about how that results in something called mother hunger. Um, just because a child is told you don't need a mom, just because a child doesn't have the love of a mom in their life, that doesn't mean they stop craving a mom. They, right. they hunger for it regardless of what the law says and regardless of what cultural messages they hear. They start to latch on to different women in their life. They start to walk up to them and say, hi, will you be my mother? Nobody's telling them they should have a mother. They just know that they should. Now, that is after the child has gone through the primary stages of development in nine and a half months in life, right? They got right. the benefit of at least being with a woman for nine and a half months of their life. And then we've deprived them at, I guess you could say, less critical times of their development, and yet they still want it. Yeah. What are we doing to a child when we starve them completely of not just maternal contact, but human contact? I don't yeah, know if completely going severed, to, right? Yeah, we're not really going to have functional adults. Yeah. Babies yeah. Age to, they learn from movement, the movement of their mothers, the words of their mothers, the music that they hear, um, the taste, the tastes, right? Like we yeah. know that children are affected by the stress levels or lack of stress levels, right. the nutritional input, the exercise. Yeah. Um, we know well, that. Let's just take the last two years as an example, Katie. Um, studies have come out about the IQ of children born between the beginning of the scamdemic. Yes, I just called it a scamdemic uh, from March 2020 until recently. And the IQ of children born during the, this, this disgusting time in which we've shut down the country and the world, uh, their IQ is like 10 to 20 points lower uh, mm -hmm. than we've ever seen in decades. Um, we're masking kids. We're masking adults. I, I remember going on walks with my family early on, Katie, and watching mothers on a walk wearing a mask in a stroller with their infant who's looking at mom and only seeing a, a white diaper on mom's face. Uh, and and we've, we, we've been staying, the stay at home, remember the stay at home order, children completely removed from social connection with friends, with family, with, I mean, just the nuclear family and uh, like grandpa and grandpa, no, none of that. Um, it's unreal what we've done by severing human connections to yeah. young children in the last two years. And now we're seeing the impacts. Now imagine severing human connections at the very beginning of your human life. I, I think you're right in saying we have no idea what this would result in with human persons with eternal mm -hmm. souls in freaking robots yeah. in, in, in labs just growing in some, some sort of gelatinous robotic uterus. Freaking weird. Obviously, I mean, it's that line from that philosopher Leon Cass. He called it the wisdom of the repugnance. That there's oh, wow. wisdom in your repugnant response to something that weird. When, when, when you go, ew, ah, uh, ooh, weird, there's probably wisdom in that sort of gut moral response you had. Um, with the time left, uh, Katie, oh, yes, please, go ahead. You're exactly right about that. Um, you know, I, I remember when I walked into the first orphanage I ever went to in China, and there was about, I'd say, 100 to 120 children in this huge floor. And it was one of those situations of like two to three babies per crib, depending on the size. And what I walked in is I went, none of these babies are crying. That's incredible. Like they have this system where like they keep all these babies happy. But then I realized that these babies, they were fed, they were clothed. They had um, their nails clipped once a week. They had their diapers changed, um, but they didn't cry because nobody touched them. And I made a mistake. I picked a baby up and, um, and she was, she was so wonderful. And I just held her and looked at her and she looked at me and she was like, Whoa. And I like cooed her and I touched her. And then I set her down and she went berserk and I picked her back up. Again, right. Because she was like, wait a second, I made for this. And I ended up only holding her for the hour because I couldn't put her down. And none of the other babies knew what they were missing, but that baby suddenly did. 
And then when I finally leave, I put her down and I ran because I couldn't handle listening to her cry. And so uh, that is true, right? That you, when you starve a child of human contact, they don't just need clothing, food. They don't just need gas and fluids pumping into an artificial umbilical cord. Like they actually, we are social creatures and we are made for human contact. And so if the, the babies in the orphanage had actually turned their emotions off, they had determined when I cry, nobody comes. So I will have no emotions. That's what they did, right? So we are, wow. this is so cruel. Like the cruelty of these technologies so that adults don't have to deal with backaches and some stretch marks. Yep, that's right. Like I am a very nice pastor's wife, but the profanity that rises up in me when I think <laughs> technologies and yeah. what we're inflicting on children. And if this does not raise up an entire army of not just Christians, but any feeling adult. Then we're, yeah, we deserve what we get. Then we deserve what we get. Good and hard. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what democracy is, right? It means that the people get what they want, good and hard. Um, and uh, I think I think you're right. I mean, abortion is kind of that litmus test of a republic um, because of how it treats children. But writ large, uh, how you treat children is kind of a litmus test of, of yeah. your of your conscience and, and your country. Um, you know, God says in Genesis, it is not good for man to be alone. Uh, but yeah. with artificial wombs, we're saying actually it's very good for man to be alone from the beginning that they are a man. And it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't alone, freaking right? matter. So it's not even good for a grown man to be alone, right? And but but babies can be alone. The tiniest. Because they're not. Well, they're not. They're not persons, Katie. Remember? Uh, and, yeah. And, and this is you know this is the point that Nancy Piercy makes in her book Love Thy Body. You know she says that uh, that a rapid expansion of state power began with abortion, because in the past the law recognized personhood as a pre-existing reality something mm -hmm. that followed metaphysically on being biologically human, the law merely recognized it as a prior fact. But, with, but, but now the state is, they're deciding which humans qualify for the status of personhood, defined in terms of mental abilities, the capacity to think, feel, and desire. The same reasoning is now being applied to euthanasia and assisted suicide as well. If you say some humans are not persons, well, why not, Katie? Oh, because they can't think, feel, or desire then you can copy and paste that litmus test for personhood and apply it outside the womb too. And you'll find a whole class of human beings that also fail the secular progressives litmus test for personhood. So the same reasoning that drives the justification for abortion drives the justification for euthanasia and assisted suicide as well. My point is anytime you redefine the natural world and the conclusions that you can uh, deduce from the natural world, you only end up handing more power over to the state because now the state has to decide which humans are persons. Same thing with marriage. We redefine marriage. And so the only way the state can treat a same-sex couple the same as an opposite-sex couple is to deny the relevance of biology and declare marriage to be a state of mind, what you think, feel, and desire. We're redefining biology. And the only way the state can treat a trans woman, born male, the same as a biological woman, is to deny the relevance of biology and declare gender to be a state of mind, what you think, feel, and desire. So defining gender goes to the state. And now we're, we were redefining parenthood. We used to assume that parenthood was based on certain biological realities because there's a man and a woman and then they procreate and they produce children. And so there's a certain duty that the biological parents have towards the children. But no, now parenthood can be sort of just anything. It's intent-based parenthood because it's based on what you think, feel, and desire. So all the power to redefine these fundamental human institutions goes right back over to the state. So it's a freedom that dissolves freedom. Um, and, and, and that's what I think Edmund Burke was getting at. And I think that's what we've seen in, in sort of almost every um, new horizon of, of the left's um, secular progressive moral revolution. Uh, and so we're only putting in place the premises that justify our own enslavement. Unfortunately, the left probably won't wake up to that, Katie, until the lion eats them last, um, at which point they're dead and can no longer regret the ideas that they planted in the American soil. Uh, in, in summary, Katie, and then I want you to provide some, some follow-up, um, I think that artificial wombs are wrong because it violates an unborn child's right to life and it violates an unborn child's right to their mother and father. 
um, both of which are two fundamental rights that flow from our humanity. That's what we mean by natural rights. I want to make this point. I want to get your feedback because to my understanding, Katie, we are not at the point yet where we can remove a baby. I don't think, I don't even think that, that we have anything close to doing this, uh, removing a baby that's already been implanted in the uterus, taking it out, taking her out and putting her, her in an artificial womb. So when we talk about artificial wombs, um, Katie, we're assuming IVF. Isn't that right? So I don't know. Um, the, I think that like the BBC video assumed that the baby has a, a place for an umbilical cord to go. I'm not sure if you're going to get that if you don't begin right. in a way. But uh, we, are on, we are on the cusp of such radical human experimentation um, that do you, I mean, if you watch the videos, they're like, boy, it's going to be, when can we start the human trials? Right, because you are going to kill a lot of people to figure out how to do this right. That's right. That's why it, it violates the right to life. How many babies will be sacrificed during testing right. before artificial wombs are fully functional? And let me raise one more. It violates children's right to not be bought and sold. This is... <laughs> Purchasing and selling of beings, okay? And we are, we fought a civil war to end the buying and selling of people. Now it is coming back in the name of progress. Wow, that's right, that's right. Um, it, it would also violate, obviously, children's right to life because these artificial wombs are going to diagnose imperfections. So mm -hmm. parents can decide whether to keep their baby or kill her. Um, but on, on your uh, lane of expertise, Katie, this, this is a, a massive violation of children's right to their mother and father because you're intentionally removing children from develop developing a relationship to their mother from the moment they exist. This mm -hmm. also opens up the door for huge increases in same-sex couples raising children since they don't have to rent a real womb anymore. They don't have to find a real womb. They can just lease the artificial one or buy it outright. It'll lead to huge increases in single mother or single father homes. And mm -hmm. then here's something I want you to speak to. Um, wh what kind of impact do you think this is going to have on child trafficking? Yeah. See, do you understand? Do you understand the wisdom of having a baby grow inside of a woman? And if you've never met a pregnant woman, like I have been pregnant with three children and I was not like a particularly attached mom. Like I wasn't the ones that were like, Oh, we're going to spend so much time together. I was more like, I don't know what you're doing to my body. I better like you when this comes out. Right. right. And then they hand the baby to me and I look at them and I go, Oh yeah, we're totally going to make this work. Mm -hmm. But if we had tried to harm the baby, I did take a lot more precautions when I was pregnant because I actually had this baby that I was responsible for and that I cared for. Do you know the wisdom of making sure that this completely defenseless thing is literally surrounded by a woman who has protective instincts for it? I mean, there's not a lot of women who, if a guy comes up to them when they're pregnant and like, can I buy that from you? Not a lot of them that would be like, yeah, okay. <laughs> when no protective person literally cocooning the baby inside, do you think that the people that are running those factories are going to have that same level of protectiveness? The answer is, hell no, they're not, right? We already have a for-profit industry that completely disregards the well-being of children, and it's called surrogacy. There is no, the only people that are concerned about the baby is the people that are purchasing the baby. Um, and obviously the surrogates form some kind of attachment, but they don't even contractually have a right to say, I want to keep this kid. I love this baby, right. right? The contract is supreme. We already have set that up as the contract is supreme. Well, if you're contracting for babies on factory floors, there's no adult there that could stand between somebody who wants to harm the child and somebody who does not. We already have situations of people who are creating surrogate-born children just for the purpose of sexual exploitation. I, I mean, one case was so egregious that the judge wouldn't even allow the jury to hear what these two men did to their surrogate-born son because he worried that it would traumatize the jury. Oh now, God think that having factory floors of children in artificial wombs will decrease or increase the likelihood of predators creating children. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. you are not totally up in arms about this, yeah. from You're a child perspective, a child rights perspective, yeah, a right perspective, a right to mother and father perspective, a right to be born free and not bought and sold perspective, just a right to, for children to remain human. Yeah. Like, get off my lawn. Yeah, that's right. You're so dead inside. You might as well sell your soul to Satan. Yeah, yeah. it's fine. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, 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 Katie, why, why should abusers try to steal children now, uh, kidnap them to abuse them when they can just uh, lease an artificial womb, um, put together sperm and egg, grow some humans, and then just use them for their sex, their sex trade? I mean, how easy is that? Uh, and 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 uh, and what kind of guards are we going to have against that? You know, that that's the problem with progressivism, is um, it promises freedom, but it never delivers. Uh, on your idea of of contractor choice, really, which is really the centerpiece of secular progressivism, that if you consent to it, if it's your choice, if it's contractual, then there are no more moral moorings as long as you consent. And we'll we'll finish with this, and then I want to give you a chance to share anything else. Now, wonderful line from Nancy Piercy who says that the concept of contract is sold to the public as a way of expanding choice, mm. but in reality, it cuts us off from natural, created relationships and hands over power to the state. Um, and I can't think of a more powerful, dystopic yes. example than artificial freaking wombs. Yeah. Um, I, I really don't think we have any idea of what we're facing. And tragically, once again, I think the church um, is fully asleep on this and has no idea what's coming down the pike um, for the church, for the posterity, for children. And when you talk about evangelism, right? I mean, when you talk about the Great Commission, uh, even for those churches, Katie, who say, oh, the only role of the church is to preach the gospel. We shouldn't talk about social and political issues. Well, even from that that very myopic utilitarian approach to, to the gospel— um, you should care about stopping this kind of stuff because what because evangelizing this type of world and sharing the gospel with these kinds of people becomes way more difficult when they don't even know how to interact with a human, when they have yeah. been socially severed from human relationships from the very beginning of their development and existence. Yeah. Um, and of course, that's what, you know, in large part what you and I try to do is to rattle the church to wake up to, to what's actually happening. Um, we're out of time now, Katie, but why don't, if you have any final thoughts on this, what would be your final words for, for the culture, for the church, for pro-lifers, uh, obviously in particular for what, what we can do, why we should care, um, and, and how to get involved. Yeah. Like one of my favorite verses, um, Lord, I think it's Psalm 82, but it says, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked, um, rise up and defend the widow and the fatherless. Like God is not pleased when you forsake the needs of the most vulnerable. Um, your mandate, Christians, is to make sure that none of these little ones stumble because of what adults want. Okay, so this whole thing about living the gospel is totally inseparable from defending children. And one of the biggest ways we defend children is making sure they have life. The second biggest way is to make sure that they can grow in a healthy world, right? Defending children's right to life and right to their mother and father is the most efficient way to make sure that you are actually caring for children and all of these technologies, they don't just, they're not about like defending fatherlessness. They're about manufacturing fatherless children, manufacturing children. You will go against every biblical mandate for defending the least of these. If you do not start aggressively opposing these technologies, and profiting off of it too, not just manufacturing fatherlessness, but but profiting off of it. Yeah, yeah, unreal, unreal. Wow, Katie. Well, thank you so much. Uh, thanks for joining the show today, guys. Uh, go check out Them Before Us. Make sure you get her book. Um, I, I did read a good piece on the Them Before Us website and blog about the the Chinese robots, <laughs> artificial wombs. So you guys can go check that out. I'm sure. I'm sure you and your team will have more and better content coming down the pike and just resources. For people on, on this, I guess you, you know you'd almost call it the next chapter um, in in the the Bible of progressivism. Uh, this is this is sort of the next wave that's coming, uh, in, and and in China is is already here. So time to wake up, time to get off the bench, guys, uh, and start getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Uh, yeah. We'll be judged by our our posterity, um, by what we did or did not do against some of this radicalness that that our that our children and grandchildren are going to suffer. Um, because of. Um, Thank you, Katie. Thanks for joining the show today. Yeah, thanks for uh, going where very few dare to tread. (laughs) That's right. Keep up the good work. We'll see you soon. Thanks for joining the show today. Today, guys, head on over to iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Uh, Give the show rating and review. It really helps us reach more people. Uh, Follow them before us at their website, social media, uh, Instagram, all of that. Make sure you get Katie's book, Them Before Us. Excellent book. Share it with your pastor. Do it as a book club. Gird up your intellectual loins to begin to contend for the rights 
of children against all of the assaults against their rights. Um, if you want to support this show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash unaborted. Check out the perks. Support us. We appreciate it. Helps us reach more people. If you want to book me for an event or see my speaking schedule, go to sethgruber.com, S-E-T-H. G-R-U-B is in babyboyer.com to sign up for my newsletter um, or to book me for an event as 2022 is filling up quickly. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you next week. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Unaborted.